It's really good to see you. Um, if you're watching online in one of our online campuses this morning, welcome to you as well. Thanks for being with us this morning. You know, I, I think over the last several weeks, we, we can all agree something is going on in our country. I, I, I think we're experiencing firsthand an awakening. Um, like Neo in the Matrix, we, we are unplugging from a self-absorbed reality. A reality that says to many of us, you know, life is fair for everybody. A reality that says to many of us, prejudice is really a thing in the past. A reality to many of us that proclaims everyone gets, gets equal treatment. But, but I think we're finally waking up to... That's not a reality for a whole host of people. I want to share with you a journey that I've been on and, and, and how Jesus has prodded me, how the Holy Spirit has pressed me. And, and, and maybe my journey will register with you. Maybe my journey won't connect with you at all, but I, I want to I ask you for a favor. W would you just offer me some love and some grace and, and maybe just a humble spirit of openness? Uh, there will be points in this sermon where you may think I've gone too far. There may be some points in this sermon where you think I may not have gone far enough. There will be points in the sermons where you're, you're going to feel some things. Maybe you're going to feel anxious or broken. Maybe you're going to feel frustrated. Maybe you're going to feel tense. Don't run away from those emotions. Don't block them. Don't stuff them. Sit in those emotions with me for a few minutes. I'm asking you to walk with me through my journey and then to ask the Lord, Father, is there anything in that journey for me? Um, I, I think two weeks ago, this country was really focused on, on, a, on injustice and oppression. And I think, I think as a country, there was this moment where I think we all saw it, and we all felt something, and we all wanted to come together and do something. And the enemy is so stinking sneaky, and I think he saw that. And I think now, in the last like three or four days, there have been these sideline fires that have popped up to distract us from what we all saw. On the sideline, you, you see crazy distractions. Look over here. Look at the looters. Oh, look at that. Look, look over here. Oh, the defund the police people. Look at, look at that. Oh, look, look, look over here, the, the Confederate monuments are being taken down. Oh, you know, look over here, anarchists take over Seattle. And don't be bedazzled. Don't get distracted on the sideline issues when, when there is this core issue that so many of us have finally started to see with oppression and injustice. So, so, so I'm, I'm, I want to focus this back on that issue. Um, you know... As you study an experience, right, you, you, you can't fully know an experience unless it's yours, right? I mean, you can read about it, you can study it, you can write articles about it, but if it's not your experience, if it's not something that you lived, you can't fully understand it. I can read about what happens in pregnancy. I can talk to lots of women who've been pregnant. I can wear a 20-pound weight around my belly and walk around the house for two weeks, but I will never know. 
will never fully understand what it feels like to be pregnant. So I'm not going to stand up here today and pretend to know I have any idea what the black experience is about. But I do know the last several weeks have moved me and have opened my eyes to a lot of things. I, I am moved as a follower of Jesus to embrace oneness. I am moved by the words of the apostle Paul. We weep with those who weep. And what I'm learning is that I can't embrace, I can't weep until I learn. And so I wanna share with you some of the things that I've learned. Slavery has plagued this planet since the dawn of time. Many cultures throughout the world have embraced this idea of buying and selling other human beings. In the ancient world, you became a slave in one of two ways. One, you were the loser in a war. Did, did you know this? You know, the Babylonians would pull up, the Egyptians would pull up, the Assyrians would pull up, and they would fight you. And if you lost, you were either killed or you were enslaved. Didn't matter what the color of your skin was, didn't matter if you were tall or short, skinny or plump, if you lost, you became their slave. The other thing that made you a slave is if you were a different religion. This is kind of interesting. Yeah, the Christians would fight the Muslims, the Muslims would fight the Hindus, and again, if you were a different religion, they would enslave you. Now, if you study world history, when the Germans fought the English, when the French fought the Germans, they could kill one another, they could torture one another, but they would never enslave one another. Did, did you know that? They would never enslave one another. Why? Because they shared the same faith. It's really weird. Kill them, torture them, but no, we can't enslave them because we share the same faith. When the first slaves arrived in the New World in 1619, the Europeans changed the game. You are now enslaved for one reason and one reason alone. Your skin was black. That's why you were enslaved. And for 250 years in America, black men, black women, black children were forced to live in slavery. Slave markets were common in the in America. Most, you know, I mean, every single week. Think about it. I mean, you go to the grocery probably every single week. Every single week, you could go to the town square and you could buy another human being. Black men were bought to do hard manual labor. Black women were bought in order to reproduce. They were, because buying a slave was very expensive. So the women were bought because the white slave owners thought we could produce our own line and not have to spend as much money. It's estimated that over 400,000 slaves were brought to America from Africa. Over the course of the Civil War, that 400,000 will grow to 4 million people. And black people were not treated as humans. Slaves had no rights. They could own no property. Black babies, black children, four, five, six, seven years of age, were ripped from their mother's arms, were sold, shipped away, never to be heard or seen of ever again. Black women were abused. Black men were branded and beaten. 
And if you tried to escape, you paid a severe price. The first time you tried to escape and you were caught, you had two toes amputated. The second time you tried to escape and you were caught, you had your ears cut off. The third time you tried to escape, they castrated the men and they severely flogged and beat the women. And other slaves were forced to watch it. And that sent a message loud and clear. Eli Whitney's cotton gin, when, when he invented the cotton gin, it, it produced an economic boom in America that's never since been seen. I mean, it, you know, so, so the cotton fields now needed hundreds and thousands and thousands of workers. So, man, I mean, thousands, a, a million black slaves. It was the largest forced migration in American history. We're forced, we're chained, we're marched 100 miles into the deep south to work those fields. Now, during all of this, there were some whites in the north who despised slavery and who spoke out against it. There were some whites in the South who spoke for slavery. Now, now, can you fathom that? Especially being a white Christian, can you fathom defending slavery, saying it's our godly right, it's the noble thing to do for godly people to enslave other folks? So battle lines were drawn. And there were several southern states that decided to secede to pull away from the government. And they wanted to establish a new government where slavery was the norm. Now, I know you've been taught that the Civil War really wasn't fought over slavery, but I'm here today to tell you it was. And if you don't believe me, maybe you'll, you'll believe this. On March 21st, 1861, newly elected Confederate Vice President Alexander Stevens. So when those states pulled away, we're going to start our own government, their vice president said this. When talking about the ideology of the American government, that all men are created equal, listen to what Stevens said. And I'm going to quote. Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests, Upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and normal condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. That is so hard to even read. And if anybody thinks that a monument built to that guy is legit, like, I mean, like, do you believe that we should have a monument of Hitler anywhere? This guy was racist to the bone. And, and I'm learning that there were some white voices in the North that spoke out against slavery. There were some white voices in the South that spoke for slavery, but the vast majority of evangelical white Christians remained silent, didn't say a word. The Civil War will last four years. It'll take over 620,000 lives. But the North will be victorious, and Abraham Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation, ending slavery, giving slaves their freedom. Now, black men and women are free, but the question becomes, where will they go? And how will they live? 
So Lincoln sends his secretary of war, a guy named Edwin Stanton, down to Savannah, Georgia to meet with General Sherman to figure out what are we going to do. And these two guys sat down and began to listen to the black pastors in Savannah, Georgia. And they said, what do the slaves need? What do, what do black Americans need in order to live free? And those 20 black pastors said, we need land. We can take care of ourselves if just given the opportunity. And so a plan is concocted and, and, and Sherman and Stanton send this to Lincoln and Lincoln signs off on it. So on January 16, 1865, General Sherman issues what is known as Special Field Order Number 15. And Special Field Order Number 15 is going to take 400,000 acres of confiscated Confederate land, a strip of coastline going from Savannah, Georgia, or from uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina all the way down the coast to, to like Florida. And that was all former plantation owner uh, lands that have now been abandoned and burned. And they're going to give those 400,000 acres, redistribute it, and give it to free black slaves. Every black family will be given 40 acres of land and a mule. And again, this land is land of, of the former plantation owners, right? Land that was built on the backs of slaves, slaves that never received a penny. So these 40 acres and a mule would be kind of like trying to, trying to balance the moral ledger and allow free black slaves to take care of themselves. Now let me stop right there. Did you know that? Did you know that was the plan? Did you know that was the promise? I never knew that. Well, you, you don't know it because it never happened. Do, do you know why it never happened? Because 90 days later, what happens? Abraham Lincoln is what? Assassinated. He's killed 90 days after that order is given. And who becomes president? Well, Vice President Andrew Johnson becomes president. And I'm just telling you, President Johnson was the most racist president this country has ever known. And if you don't believe me, believe his own words. Listen to what President Johnson said when he took office. This is a country for white men. And by God, as long as I'm president, it will be governed for white men. In an annual message to Congress in December of 1867, President Johnson said that black slaves, and I quote, show less capacity for government than any other race of people. No independent government of any form has been successful in their hands. On the contrary, whenever they have been left to their own devices, they've shown a constant tendency to relapse into barbarism. So President Johnson cancels, goes back, stops, overrides special field order number 15, and he takes those 400,000 acres of land that has been promised that has been given to the free black slaves, and he turns it back over to who? The white plantation owners. And the vast majority of white Christians, once again, what? Remained silent. Can you imagine what this country may look like if that promise had been kept? 
If those free black slaves would have been given what was promised. You can't produce wealth in this country unless you have your own possessions. Can you imagine the heartbreak of the black Americans that were given that land, began to till that land, and then it was taken away and given back to the ones who had enslaved them. And now black Americans have to survive. So what do they do? they got to go back to the land that they worked as slaves, and now they're working it as sharecroppers, making pennies, pennies every day, being treated just the way they were treated when they were slaves. Soon after, black codes, laws will begin to pop up, not just in the South, but all across the North as well, that, that will limit what black people can do. In South Carolina, one of the black codes said that blacks could only hold jobs of farmers or servants. If they wanted to do anything else but be a farmer or a servant, they had to pay a high yearly annual tax. In Louisiana, one black code said that that black Americans could not live in town. They had to live on the outskirts, out in the woods. They couldn't walk around at night. Only if they had permission of a white resident. And again, black codes were created to limit the freedoms of black Americans. And it denied them the right to equal treatment under the law. And again, the vast majority of white Christians did what? We remained silent. These black codes would morph into something called the Jim Crow laws. Do do you know this name, Jim Crow? Do you know this name? Jim Crow was a fictional character created by a white actor called Thomas Rice. Rice would take burnt cork and blacken his arms and blacken his face, and the Jim Crow character was a mockery, a mockery of black Americans. And and, and he went around doing this, and it amused thousands of white people. The character, Jim Crow, the character was lazy, Ignorant, childish, totally dependent on others to to help him. But black, listen to me, blackface was designed to dehumanize and ridicule another race of people. And this is why blackface is totally inappropriate today. The the Jim Crow character, the actor who did it, had a very short shelf life. But the name Jim Crow, would stick around for a lot longer. The name attached itself to an ideology and the black codes became known as the Jim Crow laws. And from 1877 until 1965, two years before I was born, Jim Crow laws permeated this country. As a black American, you could be born, you could live and you could die under this whole set of laws called Jim Crow. And they were designed, uh, you know, black Americans might be free, but we're certainly not going to treat them equal. Stop and let that soak in for a second. What you are being told is you are inferior. You are less than me. You're not equal to me. Why? Just because the color of your skin is different. In Alabama, white nurses under Jim Crow could refuse to see black patients. We're not even going to treat them. In Georgia, black Americans couldn't be buried in white cemeteries. In Kentucky... Interracial marriages were illegal. You could not marry a person of another color or you'd be fined $1,000 and be subject to five years in prison. A black man could not extend his hand 
to shake the hand of another white man. That would show that he, he was considering himself to be on equal ground. Black children could not go to school with white children. Black churches were burnt to the ground. Can you imagine if our church was burnt by radical terrorists, how we would feel? Maybe a few pictures will help. Here's a picture of three students at Clinton High School in Clinton, Tennessee. They picket their school and they write all kinds of horrible things on their sign, signs because their school becomes the first state-sponsored school to integrate. This is 1956. Rosa Parks is arrested by a police officer in Montgomery, Alabama on February 22nd, 1956. Why is she arrested? Why is she booked and thrown in jail? She refuses to give her seat up to a white person, a seat that she's been sitting in. White neighborhoods would not allow black Americans to live on their streets, and white-owned businesses loudly displayed the fact that black people weren't welcome. Now, these are just the signs I can show you. I've not had the time to talk about the KKK. I've not had time to talk about how white people would go to church and then go watch lynchings. It was horrible. And I'm not talking 1850. I'm not talking 1910. I'm talking 60, 65 years ago. Some of you in this room lived under Jim Crow laws. And just like the Civil War, there were some whites who cried out that segregation is wrong. We are all God's children. We are all equal in his sight. There were other white Christian voices that cried out to hold on to Jim Crow and to capitalize on that. But once again, the vast majority of white evangelicals sat on their hands and just stayed silent. Now it's been 400 years almost 400 years to the day that slaves were brought to the new world. And as you and I sit here, we can look back and we can say, man, a lot of good has come about. Thank God for that. But I'm here today to tell you a lot more still needs to be done. I know slavery has been outlawed. I know we don't have different kinds of water fountains for white people and different kinds of water fountains for black people. I know that there are no signs that say white only. But there still lingers, if you're just honest, there still lingers a large disparity between the two races. And here are some questions that I've wrestled with. Why is the white average household wealth six and a half times greater than the average black household's wealth? Why, on average, do black students score 30% less on their ACT than the average white student? Why is black unemployment rate double, double what white unemployment rate is? And here's the biggest question. Why do I fidget? Why do I bristle? Why do I feel unnerved? Why do I feel threatened to defend or to give a response to the answer to those questions? Why can't I just sit there and let those questions wash over me? Why do I feel the need to defend? Where does that come from? And why is that there? As I look around, my experience continues to tell me that there are still systems in place 
that keep people enslaved and held back. And to the black community, I just want to say I'm sorry. I want to weep with those who weep. And I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain your ancestors endured. I'm sorry for the unequal treatment that still takes place in our world today. I'm sorry for the prejudice that still lingers in my heart. I'm sorry for not listening and for staying silent. And I know an apology won't fix anything. And I know a sermon doesn't flip a switch and suddenly make everything better. But I'm telling you, I look around the world and I see an awakening. I see people finally waking up and starting to speak and lots of white people are speaking out. And listen to me, the church can either sit on their hands and stay quiet or man, we can lead the way. And the question becomes, do we want to help? Do we want to be in this? And if we want to be in it, let me just give you four practical things that you and I can do. Four really, really big things that we can do. One, one is just learn. Commit yourself to just learn. It's what we did the last 25 minutes. And what we did in the last 25 minutes, friends, is just scratch the surface. What would it take, what would it look like for you to begin to learn about the oppression and the injustice that so many of our black brothers and sisters have had to endure? How about this? Let me, can, can I just give you a couple things to do? Go back and read about 40 acres and a mule. Go back, because I don't know if you were, I, I wasn't taught that. Go back and just read about that. Here's what I'd love for everybody to do. Go back, instead, of, instead of retweeting Dr. Martin Luther King, go back and read his letter from a Birmingham jail. Seven pages long. I read it last week. Go, go back and read that letter. You can get it on the internet. You can download it for free. And just read, that man was an amazing man. Read his letter. Read about racial injustice and economic slavery. Learn about what happened. Because listen to me, you'll never know what you don't know. You'll never know what you don't know. So, so learn, learn. Secondly, listen. Just listen. And things would be so much different if we would just listen Look at James chapter 1, verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. Oh, if we could just do that. If we could just listen to black Americans without being so quick to try to speak. You know, when we listen, we don't listen just chomping at the bit for our opportunity to respond. You know, can I share with you something that I'm learning um, this phrase, black lives matter. I think we struggle with this with our black friends in our black community. You've had to be living under a rock if you haven't heard that phrase, black lives matter. Are you listening? Am I really listening? Or do I listen to that just waiting for my opportunity to say, well, all lives matter. As they start to say, I see this, all lives matter. Just, just, just listen. Stop talking and just Listen, and I know what's going to happen. Maybe somebody's going to be tempted to come up at the end of the service and say, the Black Lives Matter organization I saw on Fox News. Don't tell me about the organization. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the sign, the words. Can you just look at it? Would you just look at it with me? Black Lives Matter. Just listen. If one of my girls came to me, Emma or Krista, one of my daughters, Laura, my wife, if they came to me and they said, 
we feel like you are ignoring us. We feel like you are oblivious to our life and to our needs. And if we're just kind of wondering if we're Listen to our black brothers and sisters. And when we see signs and we hear them say black lives matter, our response ought to be yes, they do. And your black life matters. It matters to God and it matters to me. So listen. Listen to their stories. Listen to their trauma. Listen to their pain. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to fix it. Don't jump in and talk about the time you felt oppressed. Just listen. So, so, so learn. Listen, real, real quick, lament, lament. When was the last time you lamented? It's such a weird word, lament. In the Bible, it's a very common concept. There are a couple of psalms in the Bible that are psalms of lament. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. A lament is not some type of little frustration or some type of little complaint. A lament was a deep expression of sorrow, a deep cry of pain. We, we lament the broken things in our world. Look at Lamentations chapter one, verse four. Here's an example. Listen to what Jeremiah says. The roads to Jerusalem are mourning. Crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan, her young men cry. How bitter is her fate. Can you just feel the despair of Jeremiah as he looks and sees the destruction of his city and the carnage, and he cries out in pain to God? A lamenting prayer, we've not been taught how to pray in a, in a lamenting way. Lamenting prayer is not polite. <laughs> it's not politically correct. It questions it cries out, it mourns, it grieves, it falls on the deep realization that only God can save, only God can fix. Uh, on this journey I'm on, I've had to stop and ask myself, when's the last time I lamented? When's the last time I lamented over oppression? When's the last time I truly lamented over injustice? When have I lamented over poverty? When have I lamented over addiction? When have I lamented over the jokes I've told or the jokes I've laughed at? When have I lamented over the prejudice that still lingers in my life? Friends, if we're gonna fix this, we've gotta learn to, to listen, we gotta learn, we gotta lament. And then the last thing is just lift, lift. There are several things, other things we can do to kick back against racism, but it's gonna take, they're dangerous things. Racism and intolerance and oppression and injustice don't go away safely. You gotta, you gotta get dangerous to do it. And, and there, there are several dangerous things that we need to do. First thing is we need, we need to start praying dangerous prayers. Sometimes our prayers are so safe. 
And we got to learn to pray in a more dangerous fashion. You want to know a dangerous, this would be a great sermon series at some point, dangerous prayers. Because all throughout the Bible there are some dangerous prayers. Let me give you a dangerous prayer in the scripture. Look at Psalm 139, 23. Here's a dangerous prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Boy, you talk about dangerous. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. For me to pray, God, search my heart. See what only you can see. Search every nook and cranny and crevice. God, if there's any injustice, if there's any racism, if there's any prejudice in my life, as much as I try to hide it or gloss over it, God, you dig it up and you put it in my face and you show it to me. And just because I don't use the N-word and just because I post black squares on my Facebook page doesn't mean I don't struggle with tinges of prejudice and racism. So let's pray dangerously. God, search me. Search every corner. Open every cabinet. Look behind every door. And if you see any injustice, you see any racism in me, you see any prejudice that lingers in my life, dig it up and make me repent and let me get rid of it. So pray up. Pray dangerously. How about this? How about speak up? Look at Proverbs 31.8. Speak up for people who have no voice. For the rights of all the down and outers, speak out for justice, stand up for the poor and destitute. Friends, you and I can use our voices. We can speak to our children. We can speak to our black friends and neighbors and coworkers and just say, I'm trying to learn. Let me ask you a question. How, how does this work? Help me understand. So speak. Here's another dangerous thing to do. Step up. When you see injustice, when you see oppression, don't look down. Don't twiddle your thumbs. Speak up. This is happening today. Remember when that, in our city, it's happened on numerous occasions. Uh, that, that white officer downtown who got caught up with all those protesters, and without saying a word, there were several African-American men who joined arms and linked and created this human fence in order to protect him. They didn't know each other. They didn't have this plan. They just saw injustice and oppression going on, and they said, we've got to step up. I read last week. There was a construction crew who was going in to uh, use the restroom somewhere. And, and all the men got to go in. The white men got to go and use the restroom. But there was a, a black female who was stopped. And they told her, you can't use the restroom. And, and these guys stood up. And they spoke up. Because that's not right. So speak up. Step up. And then the other thing I think we can do is friend up. Friend up. This will not change until we begin to build relationships. Do you know what we need as a church? You know what we need to do as a church? You know what I'm going to ask you to pray with me for as, as a church? We need to find another church in our town that doesn't share our ethnicity, and we need to start getting together. And we need to start serving together, and we need to start fellowshipping together, and we just need to start building relationships together. We need to pray for those friendships Friends, listen, God's on the move. He's on the move. There's an awakening that's taking place. And I know that you're looking at the sidelines. You're looking at, at the fires on the sideline and you're focused on that. Don't focus on those. Focus on, on the big thing, the main thing, oppression, racism, injustice. That's what we're called to fix. And may God give us the strength to learn, to listen, to lament, and to lift. Let me pray for us.
God, it feels like our world is on fire. We feel the heat of injustice, oppression, anger, fear, chaos. We are choked by the smoke of gunfire, cars running over people, so much violence, so much hate, so much pain. We lift our eyes to the mountain and we cry out, where does my help come from? It comes from you. Lord, we repent. We have thought too long that our help comes from the government, that our help comes from worldly systems, that our help comes from our own human achievement. What we've discovered is all of those are sinking sand. Our help can only come from you. You alone heal the heart. You alone change the mind. You alone bring justice. You alone set free. So Lord, help us. Help us to confront and to confess prejudice. Help us to grieve over a history of racism and prejudice. Help us to hold accountable those who abuse power. Help us to repent and turn from our wickedness. God, rouse us from our slumber. Help us to defend and to speak up for those in need. Help us to learn, to listen, to lament and to lift. So come, come, you are our only hope. Come and save, come and give us life, life more free, life more abundant, life more equal. God, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.